Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next episode of Here to Help. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps us going all day. And what powers that mission is our people. Here to Help is a look at how experience, strength, and hope inspires people to want to help others. In my role, I spend a lot of time talking to people at Indeed about where we're going and how we're doing, but I spend a lot more time listening. And for the past couple of years, I have led a bi-weekly all-hands Q&A over Zoom where thousands of people ask their questions and people submit those questions uh, online on Slido and everyone votes on the questions they'd like to hear answered. And this is great. But the one challenge with a voting system like this is that the questions that I answer are ones that are most interesting to the majority audience. So in order to really understand what's going on in the minds of folks at Indeed, I need to seek out other voices. So I also meet monthly with uh, just the, the women senior leaders at Indeed. And, and separately, I meet once a month with all of the underrepresented senior leaders and in March of this year, I started a, a new program. And twice a month, I have been meeting with Black women at Indeed in small groups of roughly three to five. And I've been asking them to share their experiences at Indeed, how it's been the same or different from other places they've worked and what we can do to continue to improve that experience. The experience of Black women sits at an intersection of marginalization, and these conversations have given me a new lens to better see how we're doing, how far we've come, and, and especially how far we still have to go. My guest today is Taylor Rosser. Taylor is an Inclusion Operations Program Manager here at Indeed. She has joined me on these listening sessions from the very start, where she has listened to but not participated in each of the conversations. She has been there to take notes and facilitate and then uh, has worked to help identify the themes and patterns that we're hearing in these conversations to help us take away insights that we can turn into action. And I asked Taylor to join me today as a guest on Here to Help to share her own experience as a Black woman being witness to these intimate conversations. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. As we, uh, as we get started, for those who might have vision impairment or for anyone who might just be listening, I'd like to describe a little bit of the visual setting here. I am a... Uh, middle-aged white man with glasses. I'm wearing a black t-shirt. I'm sitting here in my home office with uh, my red sparkle drum set, some uh, LPs and books and photos behind me. And I am Taylor Rosser. I'm currently wearing a pink t-shirt. I have amazingly luscious curls going on right now. And I am sitting in the walkway between my kitchen, which is to my left, and my living room, which is to my right. All right. Well, um, Taylor, let's start where we always start these conversations. How, how are you doing right now? 
Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I had a very solid turkey day with some family, and um, I'm actually going on a ski trip later this week with a few of my friends. And then, you know, Christmas is coming up. So all in all, a good combination to sort of end the year. All right. Well, um, as I explained in the intro, we've we've been working together uh, throughout the year, and we're going to we're going to really dive into that. But before we do that, I want to back up and uh, learn a little bit more about you and maybe what you've brought to uh, this set of experiences here. So you've been with Indeed now for over five years. You started out as a technical recruiter. And now, as I mentioned, you're an inclusion operations program manager. Can you tell folks what that current role is and um, and what what really led to some of the changes in your roles that that got you to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I'm on the DEIB Plus team, formerly the DIMB team. And within there, I'm part of the Employee Lifecycle Pod. And we focus on DEIB-related um, partnerships, events, education, and programs. Um, and as far as my role, you know, I've men- I know you've mentioned a few times how um, a lot of the processes that we currently have at Indeed weren't necessarily created with an inclusive lens, and that's exactly what my job is to do. Um, so the employee lifecycle refers to how we attract, retain, grow, and transition employees. So every imaginable process within those areas are all the things that my role is focused on democratizing um, and injecting with an inclusive lens. Um, and it's a fairly new pod. We've been, there's only two of us, and um, it's as of July that this sort of inclusion operations program um role has has sort of started. So, uh, but as far as my journey goes, you know, I did start as a contract sourcer in November of 2017. Um, I was converted after 10 months and um, I had done that for an additional two years, but towards the end of 2020, I started to consider maybe a career change or just like a a closer move into HR because I do have my master's in HR management. And so towards summer of 2020, I was like, all right, I'll start studying for my PHR, take the exam in the fall or the spring and get ready for a move sometime next summer. Um, But then we got an email at the end of summer of 2020 about a DIMB generalist role that came available. Um, And it was a temporary opportunity. They basically said like, hey, if, you know, we like you and you like us, like this could, you could move over to our team. But if it's not something you're interested in, you can always go back to your, you know, previous position. Um, And I thought that, you know, that was a great opportunity. But even before I could see the email, because I had been talking about this with a few of my friends and coworkers, um, I get two pings from people and, one person in all caps just says, this role is yours, you better apply. And my first thought was, this email was sent three minutes ago, so please don't yell at me so soon. Um, and then after I read the email, went through the description, I was just like, yeah, this this is my role. Um, and I had my resume updated, shared with friends, and ready to send after after getting my manager's, you know, approval, of course. Um, but fun fact, before I interviewed for this role as a sourcer, 
at the in the fall of 2017, I interviewed at Indeed at the beginning of 2017 for an HR generalist role, um, which I did not get, but no hard feelings because I made it here anyways. Um, but because I was sort of looking to get back into an HR related type role, um, when it came up and it said DIMB generalist, I was just like, oh, there's you know, there's a connection there. Um, and then also it's in a space where I'm pretty passionate about it and want to sort of improve the areas. And having worked in sourcing, I, I've had my opinions on, you know, things that could be fixed or corrected or different way of doing things. And so being on this team, it definitely gave me the opportunity to um, sort of showcase and, and have my opinion sort of be put into action. So let's um, let's back up even a little bit more. Can you just talk about some of your background? Where did you grow up? How did how did you get here? Yeah, yeah. So um, I grew up in San Antonio, a, a very big military city. Both of my parents were in the Air Force. Um, I think my dad did about twelve years, and my mom did a full twenty-two years um, in the Air Force. And Fortunately, we didn't have to move around a lot. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, my brother was born here in the States and they lived in Germany for four years. And I'm pretty sure German was my brother's first language. Um, but then they came back to the States, had me and decided we're not going to travel anymore. Um, so, you know, that's been, you know, a good experience. But being able to be in the same place has been uh, really helpful for me, especially as kind of like a shy, introverted kid, um, having something that was consistent and stable was just probably better for me in the long run. Um, but, and I'm still kind of shy and introverted, but I'm a little bit more outgoing after a solid battery recharge. Um, you know, I tend to shy away from attention and avoid talking to strangers, but funny enough, I feel like extroverts, I, I attract them. Um, they, they, it's like they find me and then they come to me and then they start talking and then they don't stop. And then next thing you know, we're friends. So I'm very appreciative for all of my extroverted friends out there. Um, but, you know, because of that introversion and my, it was, it was really hard for me to talk to people and get to know people. Um, I really pl started playing sports. I'd played sports since the age of five, um, mostly basketball, but it wasn't until eighth grade that I got into track and field and, and throwing discus and shot put. Um, and I did that throughout high school. And one state, I ended up getting a scholarship to Texas A&M to throw discus and shot put. And um, it's just, it was an amazing experience. And I did that for three years and I decided to forego my senior year so I could focus on school and my grades and even potentially getting into grad school. Um, which I did, and I ended up moving to Houston and going to Houston Baptist University, where I got my master's in HR management, graduated in 2015. Um, and then I moved back to San Antonio for a short internship, which I found on Indeed. Um, and shortly after, I got an email to, you know, work at a company here in Austin. And uh, I moved here in March of 2016. And um I started out as a recruiting coordinator um, at that company, at my prior company, and then I was a resume reviewer. Um, and then one day I was, you know, talking with one of my friends at a happy hour and I was just like, hey, you help people get jobs, like help me get a job because he, he worked here at Indeed. Um, and so this is at a happy hour. I didn't think much of it, but 
the very next day, he sends me a message and he's just like, hey, I was serious. Send me your resume. I was just like, oh, okay. And so then I like, I had to like scrounge and get my resume together and um, everything ended up working out. And that's how I, that's how I got here. So you have um, talked about seeing yourself as uh, as an introvert, but also as being the exception. What, what what exactly do you mean by that? And how is that important to your story? Yeah, I mean, I think for one, I think being a Black female and an introvert is really hard, especially in the workplace. Um, I don't think I necessarily fit into this stereotype of what they think Black women should be. Um, And people will often take me being quiet as being disengaged, unprepared, um, or incompetent. And so to know that you have to sort of balance what the expectations are for people has just been really hard for me. Um, you know, even as a, as a kid, I had a lot of trouble speaking up for myself and advocating for myself and, um, you know, the things that people used to say to me and I would let them get away with just for the sake of keeping the peace. Um, it just makes me uncomfortable to, to think about now, but even though I grew up in a pretty diverse place in San Antonio, you know, I still had comments from people in the Black community, like, why do you talk like that? Why do you dress like that? Why do you listen to that? Um, And then from maybe my non-Black friends, I would hear things like, oh, you haven't seen X movie or you don't listen to this artist, like, I'm Blacker than you. So I think from a very early age, I feel like my Blackness was consistently being challenged. Um, and that was really confusing to hear, you know, with what made me weird with one group sort of made me a palatable Black person for another group. Um, and at one point I've heard, actually a couple of times people have said, I wish more Black people were like you. And so I've heard that from friends. And at one point I even heard it from a boss, um, from a manager, not here at Indeed, but you know, I've, I've heard these things and both situations made me uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's just like, okay, I'm not accepted here, but I don't like the acceptance that I'm getting here. Like it just doesn't feel right. So to me, with a lot of people, I always felt like I was the exception, like, oh, you know, more Black people should talk like you or be like you. And and it was very confusing. And again, I had a really hard time advocating for myself. So when people said these things, I never really pushed back. I never said anything. I would just sort of internalize that discomfort. Um, and, you know, it just sort of started to, to manifest in different, <coughs> excuse me, it started to manifest in different ways. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's just been a little bit hard. And, and whenever you don't live up to an expectation of people who believe who you should be, it starts to make you question yourself. Because to me, I was just being myself. And it seemed like it was something that people didn't necessarily like, but it was because of their idea of who they thought I should be. You know, I'm not going to be the person that's going to be um, make their presence known. I'm very much a behind the scenes kind of person. I, I don't really like attention. Um, and so anytime I go against any sort of stereotype, I'm just sort of, you know, looked at in question. So those things are very important to me in my story because it's something that I've 
I've had to navigate and I'm still navigating those, you know, those feelings and that internalization. That, so that is a lot of, uh, complexity and, and contradiction, um, so, so how how do you navigate it? How, how do those internalized pressures sort of show up in your in your day to day? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the way it's shown up for quite some time is that I sort of I feel like everything that I do is going to be scrutinized or criticized, but not as a representation of myself, but as a representation of all Black people. Um, you know, I, I never wanted to say anything or do anything that might make somebody look at me and be like, oh, you know, she's black, black people are all like this or black people are all like that. Like I, I internalized that responsibility and I was never wanting to, you know, put out to the world, like, see, this is how you should be. It was more so we are all individuals and we are all, we are not all the same. And so I had to become really comfortable with being myself. And as I got older and probably not even until like maybe the last like five years, I've been more comfortable with sort of challenging people because, you know, anytime I think of, you know, white privilege, that's one of the privileges that I think of. It's, you know, you have a the privilege to be an individual. Um, whereas I feel like I'm, anything I do or anything anybody else do, it's a representation of an entire group. Um, so, you know, I wasn't raised to view myself in that way, but, you know, as an introvert, I observe more than I participate and then I internalize those observations. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's, it's been really hard to navigate. And again, it's still something that I'm working on, but, um, you know, even I'm not even good at making my own mistakes. Like you, you hear so many different things. Like I learn from other people's mistakes. If I see somebody doing something, it's like, oh, note to self, don't do that. Um, shout out to my brother. He made a lot of mistakes that probably kept me out of trouble. <laughs> um, but that's sort of how I, I learn. And so I don't need to experience it to, to know that it's a possibility or know that it could happen. So I'm sort of constantly bracing for impact or preparing for something negative to happen. Um, it's not something that I think about on, you know, every minute of the day, but I do think about it enough. So that way, when it something negative does happen, I'm mentally prepared to let it go. Not even, not even mentally prepared to react, say something. It's just, I'm mentally prepared that it's going to happen. And if I know it's going to happen, it's going to be easier for me to let it go. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, advocacy looks different for everyone, whether it's passed on from parents or grandparents. Some people were raised just to be grateful for what they have and not complain about anything. Um, and again, that's not necessarily how I was raised, but I internalize those things. And those are the things that sort of, you know, pop up in my head. And at times I feel like I have to gaslight myself into not believing what I'm seeing or experiencing um, because it's just like, oh, this happens. Like, no, 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 it wasn't because of this. It's because of something else. Like you, you kind of have to tell yourself that because people are constantly trying to invalidate your experiences. And so that's just another way to sort of make it through to the next day. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it can, it can be hard to navigate and I'm not, 
I am nowhere near professional at being able to navigate that, but it is something that I've been um, working on. And, and I can even notice a difference in myself from the time I was a kid to high school, to college, to now. So. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I mean, I think that, um, I think a lot of what you're describing is something that a lot of other people experience and because people don't talk about it very much, especially in the workplace, they might imagine looking at you from the outside that you have it all together. Um, and it really makes a huge difference for people to, to hear that. So thank, thank you for, for sharing that, uh, experience. So I guess, uh, I'm curious how that has translated into, um, you know, all of that, that complexity and the, and the, uh, the, the struggle around uh, advocating for yourself, how does that translate into sort of career aspirations and thinking about what, you know, how do you advocate for yourself in uh, in what it is that you want out of your career? And and like uh, you told me the story about how you got to Indeed. And I think that that's a, that's a, a, a really telling story, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so my mom has always, you know, I've been this shy, introverted kid for a really long time. And my mom was just like, well, if you're not going to go after what you want, at least put yourself in a position for that opportunity to find you. Um, and that's something that I've always done. It's like, can you, can you check the boxes before you even know what the boxes are? Um, and so, you know, how I even went to grad school and I got my master's in HR, I didn't realize what recruiting was. I didn't realize it was a whole separate department, but because I had that experience, because I had that background, it sort of got me into this, um, area. And so luckily I have a lot of leaders who are really good at not necessarily just advocating for me, but they're good at pushing me and challenging me. I think over time I've had to learn how to differentiate between not wanting to do something because I genuinely don't want to do it and not doing something because I'm afraid. Um, and so I think sort of learning what those lessons are, like even being here is so far out of my comfort zone. It's, it's crazy. I, I told, um, Romney Donald, because she did a Here to Help with You earlier in the year, and she was, you know, she was super nervous. I was all like, kudos to you, because that will never be me. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I get an email from you, and I'm just like, well, yeah, I, you know, I was wrong. I guess it is going to be me. Um, but, you know, when I, when I first came to Indeed, um, the things that I've had to navigate when entering, I, I remember the first interview that I had, I got an email confirmation and it said something along the lines of like, Hey, no need to dress up. Like we're casual here. And the first thing that popped into my head was nice. Try indeed. You're not going to get me. I showed up to the interview with some nice slacks, a little baby heel and a blazer. Um, and I did that because I feel like there's just sort of this secondary set of unwritten rules that, you know, black people and black women have to abide by. Um, and, you know, even as a kid getting into, you know, staying out late or just doing typical kid teenage things. Um, my parents would always say, like, you can't do the same things that your little friends are doing. You know, they were they were trying to teach us that potential consequences are applied differently. And because we're Black, we have to be more careful about doing all the silly things that most teenagers do. Um, so, you know, even up until 
um, I interviewed for the the DIMB journalist role, I had straightened my hair for every single interview I'd ever had. I hate straightening my hair. It is so much work and it's it's just too much and and I really don't like it. Um, but, and, and it sounds like an absurd thing to consider. It's just like, well, if you don't like straightening your hair, don't straighten your hair. But when you realize that laws have had to be passed in order for me to wear my hair as it is, like it shows you that it, it's more of a problem than people can actually comprehend. Because it doesn't, it, it, it's absurd. A law shouldn't have to be passed for that to happen, but that's what it is. And, you know, it's only been passed in 18 states and not even in Texas, but on the local level, Austin has passed it. So that's really nice. Um, but even, you know, recently I saw how Michelle Obama said, you know, when, when her husband became president, she wanted to do something different with her hair. She wanted to wear braids and whatnot. Um, but she said she knew it would be a distraction. She knew America wasn't necessarily ready for her to not have straight hair. So, you know, whenever you think of all these different situations and things that we have to think about entering into the workplace and having to advocate for yourself, um, you know, trying, I'm, I try to be more vocal. Um, because again, the loudest voices get the attention. Um, and when you are someone like myself, it's, it's hard for people to think like, oh, she, she doesn't want to get promoted. She hasn't said anything. Well, it's like, I, it's not that I don't want to. It's like, I, maybe I don't know how to have the conversation or I didn't even see myself being where I am today. So it's hard for me to think about what the future looks like because I don't know what those options are. So, you know, I'm, I very much think <laughs> and I overthink. And so that can be a little bit of a detriment if you don't have a supportive team around you who sort of understands those aspects about you. Well, thank you for for sharing that. And for anyone who is sort of shaking their head right now at your mention of these laws, Google Crown Act. Um, it's a real thing. And it's probably something that a whole lot of people who've never had to think about that have no idea exists. So thank you for, for bringing that up. All right. Um, so I, th I think we have a, a pretty good perspective on um who you are and what you know what you brought to this uh experience so let's let's talk about this experience um you uh, i assume got an email out of the blue saying um hey chris wants to do this thing and we want you to be a part of it can you can you talk about how this how, how it got started for you and and uh your early experience in this listening tour yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. I, I got an email and it was just like, hey, Chris is starting this listening tour and, you know, they they want, you know, black women to be taking the notes, which I thought was an amazing thing to to consider and think about um, because, you know, it's to to be in a space and amongst other black women and, you know, somebody is taking these notes, you want to a little bit more of reassurance that, Somebody's going to actually capture what you're saying. They're not going to necessarily try and modify it to fit something like I'm a word for word typer. Um, so that's exactly how I type my notes, because I want to make sure that I'm capturing all the experiences that people are having. But um, yeah, when I when I first saw the email, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I was, you know, I, I had done a few focus groups since being on the DEIB team, um, but I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to be. But you know, whenever you first go in there and it's just like, just share your experience, you know, I think people are a little bit hesitant um, to to sort of do that. And it takes a little bit to get comfortable and start um, 
sharing the the reality of your experience, not necessarily just the butterflies and the rainbows. Because, you know, while you can have a great experience, there's also some negative experiences that, again, as I mentioned, we sort of prepare to mentally let that roll away. And when you let it roll away, it's sort of like, all right, it's not in my mind anymore. But at the end of the day, these things have happened. And it's important to understand those things sort of along the journey. If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Susan Smith, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Taylor Rosser after this break. So we've done, um, I went back and and looked, and I think if my count is right, because I've also taken very extensive notes through these. Um, We've had 16 sessions since March 9th with uh, 64 women. So that's an average of four. The smallest groups have been two. The largest have been six. And part of the idea of the structure of having these small groups, as you said, if, if you just get an email from the CEO saying, hey, I want to talk to you and ask about your experience as a Black woman at Indeed, it might be and, and I'm sure for a lot of people, it's um, they're not really sure what to expect, or it might be um, hard to imagine actually sharing really what's going on. And and I think the formula has worked pretty well that these small groups, the first person maybe always doesn't dive right in, but then by the time the second or third person actually starts to talk about some experience they've had in their career or at Indeed, it it sort of opens up the conversation. And it has felt hopefully like a a reasonably safe space for people to share. And we, we've heard a lot. Um, so I, I guess, you know, one of the things in in asking you on here is uh, was part of my realization that I hadn't actually taken the time to sit down with you and say, how has your experience been uh, being a part of this? And so we got to talk about it a little last week and we've had, you know, we've had some professional meetings where we said, okay, let's go through the themes and, you know, what are the notes that you've taken and what are you hearing? But, um, so I'd, I'd like to just ask you to share, like, what has your experience been, um, being, uh, being in the room and being, being a witness to everything that we've heard from the, in these 64 different stories? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's hard. Cause like you said, it, it takes a little bit of time for people to sort of jump in and, and start start being open. And so, you know, me being neutral in there and typically I'm, I'm, you know, I have my, my camera off. Um, I always want to jump in and sort of like share my experiences to get people a little bit more comfortable with, um, speaking out and, and, and understanding that you are there for a very genuine reason. Um, you know, it's not, it's again, you're not looking for the, the, all the butterflies and rainbows. It's like, you want to know the reality of, of everything that happened. And so, I think one of the one of the things that really made me want to come to indeed was my on-site interview for my sourcing role. Um, my final interview was with my manager, and he openly said, unprompted, you know, you've walked through this office, and I'm sure you can see that it's not very diverse around here, but it's one of our goals as a company, and on our team, we have the opportunity to change that. 
And for me, someone who, you know, as I mentioned, is bracing for impact at every turn to hear that, it sort of made me like relax a little because I could go to any company and it'd be the exact same situation where I walk through the office, but nobody's going to address it because either they don't know how to communicate it, um, they are avoiding it, or they don't necessarily, they don't even really see that there's an issue. Um, so to have someone sort of straight up address that upfront before I even had the job, um, you know, it made me feel like, wow, this is a place that actually cares. And this is a place that wants to do well. And I think transparency and accountability are highly underrated. Um, if you could own up to the mistakes or shortcomings, like people are more willing to say, okay, like you, you acknowledge it, you want to fix it. Like, how do we move forward from here? And so, um, you know, being able to, to share those experiences with people and, and, and understand that I think somebody in the, the, one of the conversations mentioned like, oh, like this is a best kept secret for black people. You know, some people feel that way. Some people don't. Um, but I think to go to a place that actually doesn't just say they want to do better, but puts action behind their words um, has been an amazing thing for me. And, you know, again, as I mentioned, I've, I've had a great experience. I've had great leaders and we've all had, you know, one-off, you know, situations here and there. I think the the one that comes to mind for me is, um, you know, it was a few years back. I had recently had my hair done in braids and I was on the elevator and one of my coworkers said, hey, I really like your dreadlocks. You look nice. And I was just like, oh, thank you. I was like, but these are just braids. They're not locks. And, you know, that was, that was fine. It could have been done. It could have been done there. And he said, well, to the general population, they're dreads. And I was just like, I was like, all right. So it wasn't, it wasn't the initial, it wasn't, you know, calling my hair different things. Like, I don't expect you to know everything about me and, and what happens in my culture, but I, I corrected you and you still chose to ignore it. And it's like those situations, and, and this person wasn't on my team. They're just somebody that, you know, I see, hang out with occasionally. Um, and so for me to not be working with this person regularly, I didn't have to necessarily experience him on a regular basis. But for others, these are the very people on their teams and they have to hear it every single day. And so it's, for me, hearing those experiences from the women in there, it's like very validating. And I'm just like, okay, like it's, it's sad to say I'm not the only one. I think I would almost prefer to be the only one because that means that nobody else is going through it. Um, but I think being able to, to hear everything that they're saying has just been really impactful for me to hear and also just sort of puts me in this state of action and, and sort of wanting to take steps to make their situations better. Thank you for sharing that. It's good to, it's good to hear your story a bit uh, more. Um, I'd love to just sort of talk a little bit about uh, the range of, and, and one of the, the ways that we've talked about, you know, the range of conversations that we've heard is there's a bell curve. Right there's there's uh, sort of tales on both side. People who have had uh, a really not great experience at Indeed, 
There are people who've had an amazing experience. And and then there's a bunch of people, most of the people are in the middle, which is a mix of kind of what you're talking about. There are parts of it that have been great. There, There's individual events or a manager or a team where things have been tough. Um, can you... Can you just share a little bit about some of the the sort of the themes and the patterns that that we've heard and and sort of how how we're thinking about um, where we are at Indeed right now in in this journey? Yeah, definitely. So a few of the things that came up, and I think probably the most prevalent one is like I'm the only black person on my team, and some people even saying I'm the only black person in my department. Um, so I think that's been you know a real struggle, you know, people have mentioned sort of the hesitation to go into leadership um, because of what I mentioned earlier. It's just like, okay, I'm, there are no black people in this leadership position. And if I step into it, I am now representing all black people. And if I don't do it well, I could be ruining it, ruining it for anybody else that's coming forward. So, so I think it's important for leaders and managers to understand the pressure that the internalized pressure that people have um, when they are entering into these spaces as the only, you know, they, they feel like they're the sole representation of, you know, their race. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous thing, but, you know, we, we can't deny that it's true. We can't deny that it actually, you know, happens because we, we see it every day. We can see in, whether it's media, the justice system, it's, you know, things are applied to people in different ways. If one group messes up, it's like, eh, it's okay. But if the other, it's like, you're a little bit more um, harshly criticized or, or harshly punished. So um, yeah, I think being the only is, is a really big, uh, a big one. Um, another is people sort of being afraid to speak up for fear of being labeled as an angry black woman or just being seen as difficult. Um, and you know, that's something that I also, you know, it resonates with me and even growing up, you know, my mom being a master sergeant in the military, a black woman, if she's trying to correct her troops because somebody messed up without yelling or without cussing, but she's very firm and clearly frustrated she gets sent to HR. But the male, who is using every cuss word he can think of and yelling at the top of his lungs, gets a yes, sir, and sort of moves on. So, so you know, and she got sent to HR because she was seen as aggressive. They, they, they use that word. Um, and so it's just like you start to realize it's like, okay, I either stick up myself and risk this label or I'm quiet and risk being taken advantage of. So it's, you know, it's trying to find that balance, but understanding that there is a risk for sort of both sides. Um, <clears throat> another one was sort of how microaggressions do contribute to burnout. Um, I know that, you know, we've had our survey questions and we ask about microaggressions and it's like, or not microaggressions, but burnout and what leads to burnout. And for, you know, people of color, it microaggressions is a, is a big factor, you know, having to navigate these things, especially as you are on the team with people or you have to talk about this, these things, um, constantly or experience these things. It, it, it's frustrating and it's exhausting and to have to go through and experience that on a regular basis is just, um, you know, it's just been really hard. Um, and I think manager effectiveness sort of falls into that area because, you know, people have said their managers don't necessarily know how to address 
when something like that happens, even whenever it happens with clients for maybe those external facing, um, you know, employees, um, there's a little bit of lack of psychological safety between employees and their managers. Um, and another thing that sort of came up was the lack of actionable feedback um, that I've heard for all women, but also especially Black women, um, you know, you'll you'll go all year and your manager's like, oh, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great. And then it gets to, you know, calibrations or, you know, performance time and you don't get the score you thought you would get based off the conversations you had. And then you don't get any feedback on how to improve or make it to the next step. Um, so there's just, there's, there's a lot more. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot more themes and and but I think those are the ones that sort of came up quite often. And I think the last and biggest one is the fact that just by you inviting a lot of women to these conversations, it's the first time that they ever felt like they could express themselves. And it's like if you have to wait for the CEO to ask you about your experience in order to feel like you can voice your opinion, like there's there's a disconnect somewhere in there. And, and that's where I think we we can improve. Is there anything in the conversations, because a, a lot of these themes do come up kind of over and over again, and everyone's story is different, but we're hearing a lot of these themes. Is there anything that you've heard that has surprised you? Yeah, I would say... Um, one of the things I learned is about the experiences of Black European women. Um, I, you know, every, not every country is going through the racial reckoning that the U.S. has been going through over the last six years. And, it, you know, it's easy to, to look at us and, you know, see this sort of empowerment coming about, but on an individual level, it's still very difficult for people to speak up and advocate for themselves. And hearing that when people are in certain offices, it's just like, oh, when I'm in this office, I feel like I'm in this country. Whereas I feel like as a company, we have the ability to create a culture that could supersede the culture of the country that people are in. And so, you know, I think you had said, you're like, I want you to feel like you're at Indeed no matter where you go. <clears throat> and so knowing that, especially in those countries where there's even less representation of Black women in the workplace, it's even harder and they start to feel like they are, you know, the token or they're expected to explain every social situation or they are expected to make themselves smaller or just be appreciative that somebody let them in the door. And so it's like there's like I, I mentioned before, advocacy is different for everybody in the different levels of empowerment based off of what the country is going through. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a puzzle piece. Like, it's not that I didn't know that, but it's not something that I thought deeply about. Um, but as soon as they said it, it, it just clicked. It made sense. I was just like, you're right. Like, it looks different for everybody. And depending on what you've gone through and what your country, you know, it's easy to look at the U.S. and say it's a dumpster, dumpster fire right now, but it's like you're ignoring the, the little small fire that's starting in yours, you know? And so Pete, some places haven't fully recognized the issue, um, and some places are still avoiding the issue. So I think for me, that was probably one of the 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 most surprising things that came out of it because it wasn't something that I had deeply thought about. But again, as soon as it was said, I'm like, yep, makes makes sense. So I'd love to sort of 
reflect a little bit on, I mean, so this experience for me um, has been incredibly powerful in terms of just being able to see uh, and and hear not just individual, but but the sort of the depth of of these types of experiences. It's one thing to hear one person say it, it's another to hear it sort of over and over again and to understand here, here's what we have to work on. Um, I'd love to hear from your perspective of, again, I, you know, this word that keeps coming to mind is, is witness. Like what, when you, you know, when you, you hear people telling their stories, especially ones that they feel like they haven't talked about at, at work, or they haven't certainly had a place where someone might listen. And you've been, you've heard so many of these. And, um, I guess, you know, how do you feel at, if at all transformed and, and, and what your experience of, of having been able to bear witness to, to all of these stories? What, you know, what do you take from that? Yeah. I mean, I think hearing all the conversations, regardless of if I've experienced what they experienced or not, I can always empathize with it. But for me to, to listen is to learn um, so if you're, if you're actually listening, you're, you're seeking to understand and you're seeking to, to sort of learn something new, um, and sort of that part where you mentioned bearing witness, it's like, when you bear witness, it's like, how do you apply what you've learned? Um, for me, I feel like I'm in a unique position because of the team that I'm on. Um, you know, I can go talk to a business partner. I can go talk to our inclusive learning and enablement team regarding education. Like I can talk to TA, I can talk to partnerships. Like I have this ability to communicate and make certain changes. And so I think everybody has that ability. You know, if, if, even if I'm telling a friend, like I'm constantly being interrupted at work, I can never get a sentence out. They don't work with me. They're not in my meetings. So they can't necessarily intervene on my behalf but from me talking about it now they know now if they go into their work meeting and they notice somebody's being cut off it's like oh what taylor told me that's popping up it really frustrates her um makes her angry makes her sad what have you what can i do about it and there's always something that can be done no matter how small it is but, you know, now that person has an opportunity to intervene on the behalf of somebody else. So, again, it's it goes back to just, like, what have you learned and what are you going to be able to apply? Like, how can you make somebody's situation a little bit better knowing that this is the feeling that this situation evokes? Um, so, like I said, being in the position I'm in, as soon as I come out of those meetings, I'm like, all right, who can I talk to? Like, is there, is there a policy? Is there, you know, on my team, we're in charge of looking at all of our processes. All right. Maybe that's the next process we need to work on, you know? So there, there's just a, there's, for me, I feel like there, if there's something I can do about it, I'm going to try. Um, and as I mentioned, something is better than nothing. And there's no act that is too small when it comes to sort of affecting that change um, whenever you see it occurring. So one of the things in asking you on here that I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to do is, is ask you basically the same question that I've asked everyone else. Can you tell me about your experience as a Black woman at Indeed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always hard for me to separate 
myself from their experiences, because as I mentioned, even if it's a specific thing that I haven't experienced it, it's like, it's something that I've heard before. And it's, it becomes very frustrating because it's like, it seems like simple things that could be changed very quickly, but that's just not, <laughs> you know, that's just not the way the world um, sort of works. So I definitely have to take my own time to sort of either decompress. Um, I'm really big on just like talking it out, um, whether it's talking to sort of my safe space and people with on my team, whether it's therapy. Um, and if I really want to distract myself and not think at all, I, I like to play video games or, you know, watch movies. Um, but I think there's a lot, you, you have to take care of yourself in these situations because again, I, when I observe, I internalize those observations. And so for me, it's like, okay, what can I do? Like, what's going to make me feel like I am pushing this situation in the right direction? And that's sort of what gives me a little bit more peace. Um, but I think even if you don't necessarily have the not in the position that I'm in to sort of affect those changes, again, it, it just goes back to, you know, what, what have you learned and, and, how can you make a change? Like, again, no, no small act. So um, it, it can be a little bit difficult. Like I said, I have my camera off and people can't always see the emotions that I'm expressing um, sort of while I'm typing these notes. I've definitely gone off and just sat and maybe cried for, for a little bit longer because something like was either egregious or very relatable. Um, so, you know, for me, I cope with springing into action. Um, and that's sort of what helps me know that it's like, okay, we're moving in the right direction. So I, um, I asked you this question last week and, and you weren't really sure how to answer it. So I don't know if you've had any time to think about it, but I'm going to, I'll try asking it again. Um, we're going to keep doing these. I love working with you. We're probably going to keep working together like this. But if at some point you moved on to something else and we brought in someone else to to take this role, what what advice would you give to a person coming into uh, playing your role in these conversations? Yeah, I think still a hard question, but <laughs> I did think about it a little bit. And um, I think it just goes back to like, when you're listening to these conversations, you know, you have to, you have to have empathy. Um, you have to be willing to, even if you haven't experienced something, you have to be willing to understand somebody else's situation. You have to be understand the feeling that it evokes. Um, and you want to make sure that you're capturing everything that they're saying. You want to capture, you know, the emotions behind it as well, because, you know, that's something that I feel like we, we forget when it, when it comes to empathy, it's, it's not necessarily the situation, but it's the, it's the feeling that's behind it. And so, you know, definitely take the time for yourself that you need if you need it. Um, but figure out again, how to, how you can make changes and how you can be, you know, more supportive of people who are, um, you know, being open in these conversations and, you know, even seeing them connect afterwards, like, Hey, like slack me, let's do this. Let's do that. It's like, it feels good to me to see. It's like, okay, while we all may have had these both, you know, mixed bag of experiences, um, it's a way of connecting people 
together. And I think that's probably one of the, has been one of the best parts about, you know, being in on these sessions. We are pretty close to the end of time and I could keep asking questions and talking to you for a while. So um, I think we need to to land the plane here. So I'm going to, I'm just going to, close with the the same question that I ask everyone at the end of these conversations, which is um, really looking back at sort of everything that's going on in the world, everything that we've been through, especially in the last few years with the pandemic. And um, what, uh, when you look at the experiences that you've had, what, uh, if anything, has left you with some hope for the future? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, everything looks very messy. You know, I think it looks messy, but I think that that mess is a good thing. Um, I I think of it as a growing pain. You know, the, the pendulum has been way over here for a really long time, and it's starting to swing. Like, it, it doesn't swing to a central point. Like, it swings in the other direction. So while I feel like we're in a period of overcorrection and... And people don't, you know, don't feel comfortable saying things or they, they're thinking more. It's like, okay, it frustrates you that you have to think more about what you say and what you do. I'm fine with that because people were not thinking, <laughs> you know, prior to that. So I think even though, again, things look very messy, I think it's something that we need to, you know, sort of lean into. You know, one of the things I think about is the the, the buffalo versus the cow in a, in a storm. Like they say that the cow runs away from the storm, but cows are really slow. So the storm catches up with them and now they're just running with the storm. Whereas buffalo, they run into the storm because they know if they run towards it, they'll be in it for a much shorter amount of time and they'll come out on the other side a lot faster. And so I think right now, you know, we're all a bunch of we're all a bunch of cows running from the storm. Um, And I think we need to sort of move to become buffaloes and sort of lean into the situations that we're hearing. Don't dismiss um, people's experiences, but, you know, just have a bit more empathy and 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 listen, listen and learn. That's, that's an amazing final thought. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, and Taylor, thank you so much for, for coming to this conversation, um, with, uh, what, what feels like a, a real kind of open heart and, um, and thank you so much for this, this partnership that we've had this year. It's been really, uh, an amazing experience for me. And at least from what we've heard from the women, I think it's been uh, an important experience for them as well. And thank you so much for being a part of that. And thank you for everything that you do to help make Indeed and the world a better place. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. And I, I look forward to continuing this. I will move some things around if need be, but um, this has been a great experience for me as well. And and I I'm, I'm really enjoyed seeing the impact that it's having. Here to Help is a production of Indeed. Today's episode was produced by Aidan McLaughlin, Evan Fallon, Vernalee James, and David Hartstein, Shelby Haddon, and the Blue Suitcase Productions team in Austin, Texas, with technical support from Jacob Bennett and Edward Blizniak. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time. <laughs>